Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power here to innovate. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Elevate Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCoy, joined as always by my buddy, my partner in crime. Mr. Johnson, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How about yourself, Sean? I'm living the dream, as you know. So, you know, so many times in the ESG journey, we come up upon technology. We come upon these things. That this seems to be such a huge part, if not probably the overarching aspect that people look at as one of the potential answers as we go to fight these issues and kind of address them. And one of those areas is AI. So when you hear about AI, what do you think about? I think about computers that are smarter than me, right? <laughs> Not that that's a very high standard, but yeah, no, but that's what you think about. And, and as we think about the energy transition, as we think about the energy evolution, as we like to say, you know, technology is as part of that process. It's part of that journey. It's part of, part of getting us where we need to be. Yeah. And I think one of the neat things about this is what we try to orientate things that so we look at businesses in oil and gas, because so many times we think the oil and gas companies are over here and there's just a certain type. And so when I told my 17-year-old son, who's a gamer, like most kids his age, that I was talking to NVIDIA for the podcast, he was just like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, like the graphics card people? Like those people? He was like, can I come? Like the first time, that he like, really piqued his interest around what we were doing. <laughs> Dad's actually doing something cool. It's like, what? He's like, why are they talking to you? You're not cool. So it was one of these things that we're, we're very fortunate to have Mark Spieler here from, from NVIDIA. And we're going to talk about a little bit of what they're doing around AI and some what deep learning technology and all these different aspects and not only how they're using this technology and what it is, but they're also doing some amazing things from a social standpoint in terms of what they're doing. So before we start talking to Mark, I want to introduce him a little bit and tell you a little bit about him. So he is responsible for the global business development and strategy for the energy industry and NVIDIA. Before joining NVIDIA, he spent 13 years with Halliburton where he held leadership positions in commercial and strategic alliances, technology operations, customer financial services, and corporate development. Prior to that, he worked for Silicon Graphics, where he held a variety of sales and business development roles in the energy vertical segment. He's got a bachelor's in marketing and master's degree in organizational leadership from Winona State University and earned his MBA here locally at the Jones Graduate School of Business at Rice University. When he's not out solving the world's problems around AI for NVIDIA, he has four kids, 21, 13, 11, and 9, Three dogs, a cat, two bearded dragons, and as he says, a lot of legs at his house. And he loves to cook. And one of my favorite things is a little bit of an homage to our part of the world. He loves cooking on his big green egg. And for those of you that don't know, it's a big ceramic egg that we love to use and smoke and, and heat up food out here in Texas with. Heat up food. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's what green egg is thinking for advertisement. But no, yes, no. it's delicious. I love mine. We all, I think we all have them. So with that, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show and joining us. Thanks for having me. I look forward to the conversation today. Yes, sir. So as we were talking about, so the overall is this idea of using these deep learning AI courses to prepare geoscientists and engineers for the future of AI and energy. And as we go down this road, can you just kind of start us out in the very beginning of what it was or what it is at that, what was the opportunity around the development of that idea? So I joined NVIDIA back in 2019. And one of the things I realized very quickly was their journey to create a AI-centric tech organization is by providing deep learning classes 
to industry professionals from all different industries, recognizing the fact that healthcare, automotive, energy, retail, everybody's going to be moving towards AI and machine learning as they take the vast amount of data that they've accumulated throughout the years and actually train computers to be able to pull up that data very quickly and provide answers like Siri or Alexa would, right? And so they put together this Deep Learning Institute program, and it's just fantastic. They've got some great classes. We continually develop more and more classes, and we provide them both through university partners as well as directly from NVIDIA and other partners. And so it became a very important part of how we launched NVIDIA and how we made customers aware that NVIDIA even played in the AI space. As you mentioned, you know, most people know us if their children know us, right? If their kids are gamers or maybe they were lucky enough to invest in NVIDIA a couple <laughs> years ago, that's how they know us. But we're now larger in the enterprise space than we are in the gaming space from a revenue perspective. And we anticipate that continuing to grow. And a big part of that is just providing deep learning classes to as many people as we can. Amazing. So, so as you decided to as y'all decided to go down this road and look at how you could utilize deep learning and, and, and apply it in this way, can you give us some of the, I guess, issues or obstacles or things that you addressed, maybe one that you expected and one that you didn't? So the big thing is, is a lot of people today in the industry, they know how to work with data, but the data is, is not well kept, right? I think is the big thing. And in order to take that data and leverage it for deep learning, it requires a lot of data management requirements and getting the data in a common order. But whether it's structured or unstructured, there's a lot of things that customers have to overcome in order to leverage this data. And I just don't think at first I understood quite how big a problem that is. And now understanding that, how do we help our customers to achieve that as quickly as possible, especially with the downsizing in the industry, right? I don't think anybody expected the downturn that we've had over the last two years and therefore, when you combine that with the energy transition, how do these companies do more with a lot less? And what we're finding is, is that AI is going to be the answer to a lot of those things. It's not going to remove individuals or humans from the equation because those folks are the ones who have to train the models and access the data and tag the data and all of that to make it possible. But once that's done, the machines will start to train themselves over time and be able to respond very quickly to inquiries or identifying geoscience anomalies and, and operational anomalies. So all that said, so give us kind of an idea. What, what is it? I mean, exactly what, when you say deep learning and we're talking about AI, these are really cool words, but kind of help us dive into like, what does that mean in a pragmatic, like what's actually happening besides what would seem to be like your typical, oh, this just made some level of high computation. There's, there's a lot more going on in this. And so what, what is it that's been created? What is it that you're, sure. this is about? So let me simplify it the best I can for people like me who are not very technical. So when you think about all the data that companies accumulate or even pictures or other things, what you want to be able to do is, is identify what's when you look at a picture or look at an object, is that a cat or is it a dog? Is it white or is it black? Is it, is it skinny or is it fat? Is it close or is it far? And, and basically what you can do is take all this unstructured data using video feeds sound feeds or time series data in oil and gas or other things like product spec sheets and things like that and basically use computers to read those things or look at those images have a human in there helping to tag what they are and then eventually as the computer gets better and better at learning 
what those are because people are telling it and answering it, eventually it will get better and better at identifying those things. And you create a model that then allows individuals or people to either ask a question or when it sees an anomaly or detection, it knows what that means. Kind of like self-driving cars, right? You train a car, it takes like 8 million miles to train a car to drive autonomously. Well, you know, once you do that, then you can simulate snow or fog or rain or other things. And you continue to train those models because when you're driving, you don't know what's going to pop out at you or where a turn's going to be. Those cameras have to be able to re react in milliseconds. Same thing in operations for oil and gas or geoscience if it's a computer looking at things and not humans. So that's really what it comes down to is how do they identify patterns? How do they identify pictures, sounds, or other types of data? And through that training, be able to identify it and then continue to get smarter and smarter as it sees new forms of data. Well, kind of a, another way to say that would be, so we're here at the Canon where we're recording this. And so the three of us have walked through here. So let's say that a normal data set may say that three people entered in the door. Whereas you add this visual deep learning model, it then starts to literally quantify the images so it can tell us you know our gender what we look like how tall we are you know what color our eyes are those it's really a deep like it says it's a deeper understanding of of those metrics in that data set right exactly even traffic patterns how we walk through the building how do we get places right and we use this in retail as well right where do people walk as they sure. go through a store where should they display things what do they pick up typically and then you can define your strategy around that data. Amazing. So so now that you've been doing this, as you as that technology gets developed and as that, because this is it's a more fine-tuned, acute understanding of what's going on, especially specific to customers and patterns. So as that gets applied out in the world, what have, what have you seen as a result of this type of level of data? Well, I think eventually we're going to see a lot better decisions being made. I think right now there's a lot of skepticism, right? And, and, and fear that AI may replace my job or it's going to make mistakes that myself with 30 years of experience wouldn't have made. And that's potentially very true, right? Not from a job replacement, because I do think there's going to be jobs for people to work with data and do different engineering or geoscience roles or electric roles for years. But I do think that people are going to be expected to augment their decisions with data science enhancements. Enhancements is probably not the right word, with input from data science or AI, you know, people only have a limited amount of time. And if you could run a thousand different scenarios, that's great. But when you can't, and you only have time to review five scenarios or build five first principle physics models, let's say, you'd rather have AI tell you, here's the five that you should probably focus on versus trying to take an assumption at a thousand different models. So part of this episode is that with all these things that you have going on with this, that you're actually applying this and allowing groups, specific groups out there in the world to basically have it to help them kind of augment what they're doing outside of the normal business transactions. And so from an ESG standpoint, I want to talk about that from a social aspect. And that's one of the things I'd, I'd like to go on with that because that that's also showing an, an, an internal aspect in terms of NVIDIA to recognize, obviously very profitable, obviously very, there's, <laughs> The world needs this, going to want this. I think data, is, as many people say, is the next great resource, probably the greatest resource in terms of mining, besides anything physical. But at the same time, being able to do something like this and, and put it out there and help people 
that would have otherwise had to wait, if you will, or not be able to do this. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision-making process and why that was important? Sure. So today in our industry, we're seeing a lot of people being asked to become data scientists. And they're not data scientists, right? They don't have professional training. There's definitely a difference between a geoscientist and a data scientist or an engineer and a data scientist. But more and more as the industry's working together, there's going to have to be some overlap between data scientists and the technical folks or the domain experts, right? So that they can work together to get the best models developed. So when the downturn first started happening and we started to see more and more people laid off in the industry, we were working closely with the SPE, which is the Society of Petroleum Engineers and the Society of Exploration Engineers. We've gone to their trade shows for years and we work closely with them. And so in thinking about how can we best help the people who are members of these organizations during this downturn, we had conversations about their members in transition. Actually, SPE has an organization called Members in Transition, which are basically members who are currently out of work. And what we did was we reached out to AWS, Amazon Web Services, who hosts a lot of our DLI classes. And we made the suggestion that, hey, if, if we were willing to partner with them and provide free access to our DLI courses, would they co-sponsor it? Because there is a cost of, of running this because sure. we give every student that's working on these DLI classes access to GPUs on their cloud. So there's a cost associated with these programs. So AWS very quickly indicated that they were willing to do that and happy to do that. So what we did was we started with SPE and we rolled out free DLI classes for anybody who is currently out of work and then eventually to SEG as well with the goal of how do we help these individuals who are now outside of, outside of jobs or employment, how do we help them reskill for when they come back into the market? Because anybody that's been in this industry understands the cyclical nature. And so when they come back in, the question's gonna be, well, do you have any experience with machine learning or AI or data science? And we want those people to be able to respond and put on their resume that, yes, we've taken these classes, we've gotten these certifications. And so it worked out great. And then in the summer of, I guess, I guess it was towards the beginning of 2020 when we started to see a lot of unrest in the country and other things, we thought about how, how do we expand this to other groups potentially that are underserved and don't have a big presence in the energy space. And so I was looking around as, as I was even looking to increase my team, and we just didn't see the level of diversity in the energy sector that we thought could be there. And so when I reached out to NASB, which is the National Society of Black Engineers, and I met our friend Ledoom, who you'll be talking with shortly, it was great. We hit it off right away. He runs the Energy Special Interest Group, and that's when we started working with them to provide the same classes there. And to be honest, I think they've had the highest amount of people register for classes out of any of the groups we've worked with. So really excited about what they're doing. Mark, one of the things I want to, I want to follow up on, and Sean and I talk about this all the time, is not only is the energy industry in transition, but our workforce is in transition. And that's what we've been talking about here a little bit. And it's, it's changing in size, but I think it's changing in composition. It's changing in skill set. And I love what you, you know, we were talking about these members in transition from SPE. I think that's just a, what a great resource to come out of SPE in that regard. But wanted to just get your thoughts on the scale of response so far. 
you know, I think the workforce will continue to shrink as, as companies get squeezed around margins and trying to do things more efficiently and more effectively with fewer and fewer people. But I want to just, as you guys have launched this and as it's and as it's taken off here in 2020 through 2021, just your thoughts on scale and how much participation level you're getting and just reactions you're getting from people that are in the classes and, you know, the excitement around opportunity to stay in energy, which they love. I definitely think there's a lot of interest. Unfortunately, I, I don't think the scale was as big as I initially anticipated it would be. I'd say it, with each of the organizations that we've been working with, we've definitely provided a few hundred classes of credits out to the, the field. And I think we offered six or seven different classes ranging from beginner through intermediate and then advanced that they could take. And I think each of the organizations gave out between 200 and maybe 400 course registrations for those. We still have quite a few left. If anybody's a member of SPE, NSBE, or SEG, please reach back out to them and ask them if they can still get them. We're happy to provide those credits still. But I definitely think that people who, who initially were laid off were thinking about this right away and probably jumped on it. And I think as COVID continued on and stuff, it slowed down. But I do know with some national conventions coming up for NASB this week, they plan to reintroduce it yet again to say, hey, here's another opportunity to sign on and, and do this training. And my hopes are that with SEG and SPE, we'll relaunch again as well. I was just going to say, I would encourage everyone that's listening. Yeah. And, and if you're thinking, even if you still have your current job and you love it and you're happy with it, I would say that even over the next two, three, four, five years, you're going to see a massive transformation in the way that oilfield service companies do their jobs and the way that the upstream companies demand that those jobs be done. And if you can't be a data scientist, in addition to being an amazing petroleum engineer or mechanical engineer or a geoscientist, that I think you're you're tying your hands a little bit on your opportunity going forward. And so to the extent you're connected in the trade associations and organizations that are pushing these opportunities and, and there is an opportunity to to get into the to the deep learning institute classes, I would strongly recommend it. Yeah. And so and so to that as well, I'd, I'd love to ask a question, Mark, about if, if I'm an engineer and so maybe some of the reservation, maybe they're not quite sure if it applies to them or is it really going to transition into an actual opportunity? Can you give a little bit of an idea of, we've kind of predicated, I think we all believe in it, but kind of a real world, what are you seeing out there in terms of the demand for this skill set as it's starting to take hold? I mean, is it like, is it just like, is it kind of offset where they need, they're in desperate need, the industry's in desperate need all over the place for these types of skill sets? Or is it just a nice to have? I think this is where the industry is going. I don't think it's a matter of a nice to have. I think if you look at any of the major oil field service companies or any of the major oil companies and you go to their websites today, it's all about digital, right? Energy's going digital. And, and what that means is data science, machine learning. We've heard about big data for, for ages, right? And it's just recently that the, the technology has gotten to where it can actually do something with that data in a reasonable amount of time and give real-time interaction with that data. 10 years ago, that wasn't possible. Five years ago, it was getting closer, but today it can, right? Our, our current GPUs, and although we sell hardware and we make our money, we're, we're really a software platform company. But, but from a hardware perspective, we have over 10,000 cores on a GPU, right? So think about it. If each core can look at a picture, you know, pick a number, 100 pictures a second, and then you times that by 10,000, now all of a sudden you're looking at substantial amounts of data. 
And how that's possible is all of these platforms, whether it's recommender engines, whether it's conversational language, like an Alexa or a Siri, whether it's video analytics to be able to do corrosion detection and other things to pull people out of harm's way and be able to do that stuff. That all requires somebody understanding that might have climbed up on scaffolding in the past, but now they're going to fly a drone or there's just going to be mounted cameras, but they've got to be able to go in and identify what those things are and tag it and stuff so that eventually there's a model that can identify it on their own without somebody looking at every model. And then it's just conveying to them, hey, we've seen this change. We think you need to look here. Right. Well, and Sean, if you think about prior episodes we've done, the inaugural episode with Techsmart. So, you know, in the downstream space, which was heavily relying on kind of graphical interfaces and and taking live video and and whether it was safety, whether it was inspection, predictive maintenance, all those types of things that was all driven by the graphic interface. And so when you went down into the quote control room and you sat down and you saw what I would call fondly and with a compliment, an old school engineer sitting in front of dozens of screens and interpreting what was going on and working with the computers and the GPUs and the CPUs and every other you that we can think of <laughs> to make everything work. It's pretty cool. And, and the same thing we saw in the NOV next year episode that we recently did with, you know, guys able to do EFRAC and run multiple units at once and sitting in a trailer with multiple screens and it's all being run that way. That is the future. That is where it's headed. And so I, I say again, to the extent you're an amazing engineer, but you don't have the skill set yet and NVIDIA is making this opportunity available to you. I think it's a box that you need to check for sure. And so one of the things Eric and I were talking about before this as well, super cool but what do you do about, I don't know if we call it the Terminator effect or, you know, the worry about, you know, being taken over and how smart is too smart, how smart, you know, that. So in that human side, that part of us that kind of pulls back a little bit, maybe it's a little bit gun shy about this. You're at the front lines of this. Tell us kind of what, what do you, how do you typically respond around that type of comment or concern? All of these models are trained by humans, right? And we're basically trying to make them smarter and smarter to do specific things, at least from what I've seen. You know, I, I don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. I, I just don't think that those are the things that we're training machines to do, especially in the energy sector. Right. But I get where people have concerns because at the end of the day, it always makes me a little bit nervous when I log on to Facebook and I see something that I just was looking at on Amazon and I think, whoa, how did that happen? You know, so quickly. But at the same point, you know, that's recommender engines. Right. And they basically are training extremely fast to be able to know what I'm thinking or what somebody else is. And, and that, that, that's an issue, but at the same point, it's very beneficial, right? If somebody could recommend to me which drill bit to use based on the permeability and porosity of the rock I'm drilling through at which temperature and pressure and all of these things. And, and it was to make a recommendation, not only of what was the best, but what I had in inventory within a, you know, 30 mile radius, that would be very helpful without me having to do a lot of research. And I want to ask an addendum to that as well. So it seems like one of the big issues we have with transition, with with evolution, not just from a technology standpoint, but with people, is the loss of knowledge, the loss of know-how. So can you give us a little, because that seems like that would really help from a legacy standpoint. One of the things we just saw here in Texas with the freeze is that people that maybe had been previously more skilled, more experienced with how to handle temperatures like that when the force that was out there not in addition to the mechanical failures, but even the people that didn't even know how to address it without without that know-how. Tell us how maybe how legacy data might work in, in an application like this. Well, legacy data provides a lot of, of information, 
and information that you or I or anybody else could not look through in any reasonable amount of time, right? And that's where machine learning and deep learning is basically allowing that to happen. And so what I would say is, is it would be possible that if you had all this legacy data and you, you put it together with climate data and predicted weather models and were able to pull in meters, smart meter information and pull in well information and predictive maintenance models from windmills and stuff and, and ramp up times for fossil fuel-based power plants and all of that. The problem is, is when you do a bunch of really small models, you can see certain problems, but it doesn't fix moving the bottleneck from one spot to another. What's possible today with infrastructure that's out there today, especially cloud computing, which anybody can access, is vast amount of accelerated computing. So you can actually build very large models that takes into consideration and eliminates where you might push a bottleneck by looking at the entire environment. And that's something that we couldn't do in the past and, and I don't know is was looked at for this incident. And so they couldn't anticipate when when these things started to fail, whether it be the windmills or, or certain power lines, the ramp up time of others were couldn't be taken into consideration. And so unfortunately we had some time without a power. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Mark, this is, as always, coming from this side of it, the tech side is always fun because it's fascinating and it's there's just these wonderful things like this. It's I, I think what I took from what you just said more than anything was it made a lot of sense that if, if the AI is trained to basically do one thing and just what, what does Mark want it, you know, for lunch today, that's its whole role. It's not like it's expanding what it's thinking about, you know, what everything else that you're doing as well. And so it kind of keeps in that silo and it still needs people to manage that and even utilize it as far as that goes. So that and, of course, with the... But the step to recognize to go out there into the social aspect and, and bring this to people, I think is a very admirable thing for NVIDIA to do. And so I appreciate your time and coming on and telling us about it. Oh, that sounds great. And be before I jump off, let me just also put in a plug for our Global Technology Conference, which will be coming up April 12th through the 16th. It's typically held in Santa Clara, California, or San Jose, California. We typically have about 10,000 people attend. This year, we've already had 100,000 people sign up for the conference and we expect at least 150,000 plus attend. It's going to be virtual this year. It's 100% free this year. And we've got 30 plus top level presentations on energy from upstream geoscience all the way through energy transmission and distribution. And there's going to be DLI courses offered in conjunction with this with some of the other groups that we've, not only the groups that we've talked about, but additional groups as well that lend to our social responsibilities. Mm. Excellent. Everybody should check that out for sure. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. All right. With that, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. And stay tuned after the break. We'll be back with Liam Norday and we're going to talk to him a little bit about perspective from the, from NASB and we'll go from there. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Hey, Sean, quick note about our sponsored Hewlett Packard Enterprise. HPE goes beyond digital transformation. Their unique offerings can redefine your company's experience from edge to cloud to core. They can show you how to create a digital reinvention in oil and gas. Their experts can explain how to use intelligent data and infrastructure solutions using digital technologies like never before to open new revenue streams and results. Sean, where can our listeners find out more? It's a great question, Eric. They can go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT or click on the link in the show notes for more information and where to download this white paper and all about it. Welcome back to the Insight segment of the podcast, Eric. 
another one of those technology advancing, you know, artificial intelligence, all this fun stuff, NVIDIA, technology to the rescue. Yeah, I always enjoy those discussions. Uh, I feel like I learn so much in them. And, and, and as you and I always talk about, our workforce is changing. It is evolving along with industry as well in size and composition and skill set. And to see the discussion around AI and deep learning and, and what computers are going to enable us to do to do things quicker and better and faster, obviously a key to our path forward. Yeah. And then, of course, the big, you know, the big part about the story, which we're going to talk to Latham Norday, who's the director of the Energy Special Interest Group for the National Society of Black Engineers in our Insight segment, that you know, NVIDIA saw a need not just to help the basic workforce transition, but they've also saw a societal need to look at places that are underdeveloped, underserved in terms of uh, ethnicity, socioeconomics, and stuff like that. And what a great way, I think, we're going to learn a little more about that in a minute to address that issue or to go yeah, after that issue. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I always say is, you know, we're always, the industry is always looking for the best people. And, and we need to make sure all the doors are open. So kudos to NVIDIA for reaching out and thinking about, hey, this is underrepresented here. Let's let's see if we can partner with them and, and show them some of these skill sets that complement. Well, yeah, so as we welcome Latham to come on, let me tell you a little bit more about him. He's got 15 years of experience in power systems, engineering, and design specifications, starting as a distribution system engineer at National Grid and is currently a principal technical consultant and field application engineer with ABB. He's got a bachelor's of science in electrical engineering from the University of Buffalo and a master's in electrical engineering at, from Worcester Polytechnic Institute. He's also the founding chair of the Agoni Youth Network and a former leader of the movement for the survival of the Agoni people. With that, Latham, thank you so much, buddy, for taking the time and coming on and talking to us. Good evening, Sean. Thank you so much for having me as part of this conversation. So I kind of want to ask a question first before we get into the social aspect a little bit, but I want to ask you a little bit of, a, of an engineering question. One of the things that we talked about was was around the transition, was around you know, developing more skill sets for engineers as far as that goes. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of what the scope and the scale of an opportunity like this is when a company like NVIDIA comes in and says, hey, we want to hand free credits and free training from basic to advanced around something like deep learning? No, certainly. First of all, I want to thank Mark. It was good to hear him sort of touch on how we got acquainted later part of 2020 at the peak of the pandemic. And to share some insight about the many ways that NVIDIA is offering its services to not just the industry, but for professional organizations and organizations like Nesby. So I happen to have spent most of my career in the power delivery sector. And most recently, we work for an energy technology company that used lithium-ion battery storage to store excess solar generation. So in this case, we've seen the need to analyze big data. And one of the key things that we've always said was we need to hire a data scientist. So when we got in contact with Mark and the idea of NVIDIA and extending services to our membership, we could not wait to get started. So when we talk about that, when you talk about on the power distribution side, battery storage side and that stuff, you know, there's traditional engineers, electrical and otherwise in that space over time, but we've seen again, the evolution that we always talk about. From a data scientist standpoint, how does that complement and work with the traditional engineering program? I just kind of want to hear you expand on that as, as you've seen it impact your own career and, and as you've seen it impact those who work with you and around you and how that's you know helped them advance. Absolutely. And Mark did it best, you know, sharing insight as to how the energy transition is evolving. We have a rapidly changing landscape in terms of the influx of new technology and the ability to analyze data. So our members see this as a core competency need that we've always desired to have access to. 
So in a way, it makes a complete engineer when you're able to anticipate, you know, data, anticipate how systems operate. And for us overall, we want to look at how we do predictive analysis overall as engineers. And so if we can maybe jump into a little bit more of the social side of this, you know, in addition to just, as Eric said, at the end of the day, most people want the most competent person. They want the person who's going to be able to do the job. That's what we're looking for ultimately. And I think that's one of those things that's exclusively agreed upon, but it's not always the case that's out there in terms of it's not always an equal playing field. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of where or what or how the National Society of Like Engineers got started and what their what your mission is and what you guys are trying to accomplish, guys and gals, I should say? Certainly. I think it's, it's also best that I, I give you this 50-foot view of NSBE, being the National Society of Black Engineers. This is an organization that was founded by six undergraduate students back in 1977. So they saw the need and the gap that exists within the engineering discipline on campus. They saw many of their peers that enrolled in the university and did not stay because it was dropping off precipitously out of the program. So they, they began to mobilize themselves. And this is just college students reaching out to one another to look, figure out ways that they can create a web of support to inspire and encourage one another to enroll and remain in engineering disciplines. So since then, the outreach has now outgrown itself and it is now into an organization of 25,000 members across the United States, Canada, and a host of international affiliates, specifically in West Africa, Ghana, and Nigeria, among others. Nesbitt's mission to increase the number of culturally responsible Black engineers who first excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. So now if you see that mission started in 1975 and has maintained its core in terms of how we mobilize disadvantaged communities to remain interested in their pursuit in engineering discipline. So 1975, so that's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit, so tell us a little bit how Nesby has also evolved in its mission, evolved in its, what it does since it first started into today and where, and where you see things going in the future around, around an organization with this type of mission? Yeah, Nesby has been influential in terms of its ability to mobilize and advocate for greater curriculum expansion that includes underrepresented groups. So in 2015, for instance, Nesby proposed a coalition of 50K, which includes deans of engineering institutions, to graduate 10,000 Black engineers by 2025. Prior to that, we were seeing somewhere around 3,000, 3,500 graduates in engineering discipline that are of diversity or Black background, correct? So in this case, Nesby has seen the need that there has to be a national imperative that this nation's economic health and security in large part is on its ability to sustain a technological leadership. So we're seeing a change in demographic with the looming wave of retirement, advancement in technology, and um, digitization of our processes that there's going to be an inadequate skill sets within the next 10 years. So how do we mobilize every part of our member of our economy on the surf communities and otherwise to be participants in this growing industry? So that's where Nesby comes in. Lady, I wanted to follow up on something you said earlier that really resonated with me. We, we were talking a little bit about data scientists and, and that being a, quote, core competency on a go-forward basis. And you really couldn't be a, a quote-unquote, complete engineer without it. As you guys have partnered specifically in the energy space with NVIDIA around these programs and the Deep Learning Institutes, 
give me your thoughts on how those programs, I want our listeners to hear just how powerful those programs have been, how much value they've provided to your members who have looked into them and participated in them and, and passed the classes. Just wanted your thoughts on just kind of bang for the buck, for lack of a better word. Right. So for better or for worse, artificial intelligence is here to say, right? So our industry is completely transformed and we're so fortunate to have come in contact with Mark representing NVIDIA. This is one of the organizations that's taken upon themselves to make the commitment for advancing inclusive growth. So for us, we have issued over 300 courses to our members and this is growing. And Mark, Mark touched on this earlier in his conversation. Our national convention is coming up next week, April 5th through the 9th. And we're looking to roll out our phase two. So we expect to have double that number. So what we see here is that specifically within NVIDIA, that we're offering our membership with tremendous access to these key competencies. We've seen advances in data science and how we're able to use artificial intelligence to leverage big data. That allows us to make better decisions. It makes you a complete engineer. It makes you more smarter about the environment that you work in. So we see this as an asset and we see NVIDIA as a key partner in the growth of our community. So are there, are there any other groups, not to take anything away from what NVIDIA is doing, but can you give us an idea of what, are there other groups or other, other companies that are, that are doing this similar kind of thing, trying to help Nesby and other organizations like yours in terms of helping, I guess, bridge that gap and help bring that skill set forward in terms of the qualifications and such? Absolutely. So we have other institutions, corporate partners that contribute in various capacities to Nesby. We're speaking of NVIDIA specifically around this deep learning and artificial intelligence capabilities. I cannot go over every single partner that we have, but we do realize that of the Nesby's three demographic, which is the pre-collegiates, collegiates, and professionals like myself, we have organizations that are partnering with us in every step of our growth to make sure that we are active participants in this new economy that we're dealing with, that we're also active members of the industry that we participate. One of the things that is key to us is that when you go into the industry, you realize that how come there's not enough diversity in each organization? But the key is that you have to look at the input. You go through the graduate level, the pre-collegiate classes, the collegiate classes, how many students of color are enrolling and matriculating through each program. And then you will realize that the gaps really falls within academia. So we're doing a lot with our corporate partners to make sure there's access to scholarship. There's access to all kinds of applied learning applications within the industry to enable them to advance within this engineering discipline. And it seems easy for someone like myself, like I said earlier, that this was a great thing and this is an amazing thing that NVIDIA is doing. Can you give us an idea, not to differentiate, but for the sake of comparison, can you give us an idea of what you feel, like a step like that they're doing? What does that mean overall to you? I mentioned NVIDIA's commitment. I saw this as a genuine outreach. And when we were approached, some of the times that we get in contact with potential partners is, oh, we're looking to recruit black talent. And what can we offer to have access to your talent? And in this case with NVIDIA, that was never part of the conversation. The part of the conversation was how can we extend the services to make sure that your members who are mostly in transition, that was how we started. So it comes to, we came to realize that not only those that are in transition, but those are who are actually still gainfully employed have the need for these skill sets. So the differentiating factor is the authenticity of the engagement and the intentionality behind it. Yeah, Leighton, I love that last point. And that's definitely the way I feel when I talk to Mark about it, is there was authenticity, there was intentionality around passing along that skill set, right? And Sean, you talk about this all the time. 
businesses in oil and gas are not just oil and gas businesses, right? right? And NVIDIA is an amazing example of that. And their partnership with the National Society of Black Engineers is an amazing one. So, Latham, thank you for your time. This has been insightful. And again, all of our listeners out there, including those that are member of the National Society of Black Engineers, I would strongly encourage you to try to tap into what NVIDIA is doing and offering up. It, it's an amazing opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. And before I close, I also like to put in a plug again for our national convention. So for the Energy Special Interest Group, we have two sessions coming up where we're examining the changing energy landscape, which is be led by Southern Company, and it's also sponsored by Lind Inc. So I encourage those that are listening, your audience, to look out for our national convention coming up next week. If you're able to attend, it's nsbeconvention.org. Thank you for that. Excellent. We'll put something in the show notes as well. So, Latham, thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you nothing but the best in the future. All right. Have a good evening. All right. Thanks, Latham. And with that, another episode in the books. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you all next week. Amazing. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for April 2021. This month, we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG Geo Women eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we are doing is to tell a friend about it, ask them to listen, and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at oggn.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, head to innovate. innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, head to innovate. Ha!